You're listening to the Country Chat Podcast with your host, Dom. Subscribe, give a five-star rating and follow us on Twitter at country underscore chat and stay up to date. Hi there, this is the Country Chat Podcast with me, Dom. Today I'm speaking with the absolutely sensational, the fantastic, the wonderful Gary Quinn. Hi, Gary. Hey, Dom. Good to be so with you, bud. It's good to have you here. Now, I like you know I like to be open and honest. For some reason, we've just been talking for the past 15 minutes and the audio, the wave file on my Audacity seems to have like dropped off for I've no idea reason why. But I can still remember all the questions I've asked you. So are you ready? <laughs> yeah, my fee's just gone up, by the way. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll come around later and I'll find that I'll rub your feet. Back massage as well. You've got it. <laughs> so, we were talking originally about being in the creative industry and working within media and basically trying to push as much content out there for as many people to enjoy as possible. And one of my main questions to start with was what is it that you get the most out of music, you know, creating music? Is it for that fan engagement or is it the ability to to promote and express your own emotions? Um, it's it's a mixture of both. I feel you know it's I, I can get the same sense of reward and achievement out of finishing a song that I've been writing um, against going out on the stage and and singing that song and have people sing it along with me. I I, I feel the same sense of exhilaration. So. Um, why did I get into music? I'm not really sure. I kind of came late to it in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's the only thing I've felt that I do well. Whereas I've done I've done other things to a level of adequacy, um, but never really felt a passion for. Yeah. But I felt a passion for music. Um, and I have just as much passion for writing songs as I do for performing them. Um, and I'm a weird way sometimes my favorite way of performing are in just solo acoustic sets or uh, writer rounds because there's a more there's more i feel of a sense of engagement um but then you you know you tailor or tamper that with rocking out a, a big tune on a main stage somewhere then that's also pretty cool but um i think i get as much out of creating as i do performing see this is <clears throat> this is one of the reasons why i love like the the positive of having to re-record is because there's slight little changes to an answer and you know like extra little tidbits and little sprinkles in now we talked we just mentioned there about you know being able to rock out to a festival and have the like solos and the writers rounds out of the two can you pick out like memorable moments for both the solo writers round and for the festival side um yeah so i think festival wise um going way back playing at the um at c to c in one of its first years playing on the town square stage and there was like about a thousand people there because of the mill and the football um but it was just incredible to see that amount of people in front of, of the stage for for one but secondly, that you know, when it came to on my way out, people were singing back to me. Uh, yeah, that just blew me away. 
um, that was that was a really cool vibe. And I've had similar experiences here at Buckland Boots with that as well. And, and probably more so at Buckland Boots now. What I'm finding is that more people have become more familiar with my music, and and they really enjoy my set because it's like a little roller coaster. It's not just you know the same song followed by the same song. You're really taking on a on a bit of a journey. Yeah. Um, and so I'm really excited. For, for this year's event because I've got some new music coming that I can can throw into the to the mix there. But um so so those have been quite stand out. And I played the CMA Fest um a number of years ago as well in Nashville. Well and that was just really cool to to be sat in a in a just a different country playing music for, for like minded people. Um but we also played the Australian Tamworth Country Festival. Why? And that was in front of about five thousand people, and um, again, that was just you know to be halfway across the world playing your own songs to a bunch of Australians. This was amazing. So there's been some really really cool um, band performances that I'll always remember. And I think in regard to acoustic solo or in the round sets, I've had the chance. I've had the chance to. Been some really cool rounds with like Bob DePiro, uh, who's written loads of hits. Brett James, he's had like 26 number ones. Mm-hmm. But one of my favorites was at the Bluebird. And Mo Pitney is someone who I'd really look up to as a writer uh, yeah. and as an artist. And so Mo was on my left, um, American Young were on my right, and William Michael Morgan was, was directly opposite us as we were doing the round proper in, in Nashville's Bluebird uh-huh. and I'd sung a song um, that I'd written with Jane Bostick called Love and Lose and Mo Pitney picked up straight away what I was doing and was singing along by the second verse and, and playing a bit and afterwards look at you afterwards he, <laughs> afterwards had said and I said this in front of everyone so I thought it was really nice that that was an idea that he wanted to write and he's been trying to write it for the last decade mm-hmm. but hearing hearing what we had come up with doesn't feel he could do it better justice to the to the title and I just thought wow that no is, me saying that <laughs> like that is yeah. a serious accolade that. that that was really cool I'll always remember that um, because he didn't have to say that and he certainly didn't have to say that publicly um, so I'll always remember that I thought that was that was quite cool that is just, I mean, I don't know. I, I tried showing you my arm. I mean, I've still got them. Like, ultimate goosebumps. Like, spine-tingling goosebumps. Oh, that's, that just sounds so surreal, you know, in the sense of, like, wow. You know, only some artists can only dream of being in situations like that. And, I mean, you, you're up there with them. I mean, we talk about A-list, you know, A-list artists. You're the UK equivalent. Oh, well, that's, thank you very much. Uh, I probably wouldn't go that far at all, but it's what I genuinely love is being around other creative people. Yeah. And and having discussions around that and, and writing songs, writing country songs, I think, more than anything. Uh, not to say that I'm not written within other genres, but I just love writing country songs and, and songs that hopefully hit you in the heart you know then um love and lose was certainly one of those songs that i'd written with jen that came from the heart and it does seem to strike a chord with people 
but I have it verified by someone like Mo Pitney, who just does killer song after killer song. And to get that sort of um, verification, just really from, from someone as as um, as accomplished as Mo was lovely. And and I've I've got some great country friends, you know, country artists that I still feel intimidated around. Really? Because. Well, because I'm just a, I'm just a, in my head. I'm still a, I'm just a kid from Oma, yeah, in Northern Ireland, and I can't believe that I'm able to come and play the Bluebird. <laughs> yeah, know, I just I find that surreal. Or sitting with Brett, Brett James in his publishing house writing a song because we met in Belfast ten years ago, and getting Phil Vassar call me out of not you know how you do, and when he coming back over, and he's so polite, you know, wants to put us up whenever we go out there and you're just thinking how did this kid from Oma even get anywhere near this and it's, sometimes you think is it because you know the, the leveler of the festival and, and they think is there an opportunity from, for them to play but it's not it's just genuine friendship like and I, that just blows me away yeah no that is absolutely sensational I mean it just shows that you know it doesn't matter where you're from you know, what background you've got, no matter kind of like what upbringing you've had, you know, if you've got a story to say, you know, if you've got the ability to say it, you know, you can make it. And you've shown that you, to be performing, you know, like on the Bluebird, you know, with artists, you know, with songwriters like Mo Pitney, just, just brilliant. Just absolutely. I'm grinning from ear to ear right now. And <laughs> I'm so happy. Like, that is what music and becoming a singer-songwriter is about. You know, it is to reach those dreams, you know, reach those kind of audiences that you may not have thought you could have reached. I mean, going to Australia, the other side of the world, just outstanding. Well done. Like, brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think and that's, um, it is crazy, if, you know, if I sit down and start listing out some of the things that I've done, and you think, wow, I mean, that's, it is impressive. Um, and I, under, I I know and understand how I got there, so it maybe doesn't seem as impressive because you understand the work and effort mm -hmm. to do that. But I know if if people do see it and they, oh you've done that, that that's pretty cool. Or, you know you can't just walk up to these places and step on stage like that. There has to be some sort of um, merit. There's so, there has to be they see or hear something in you to do that. So I, yeah, I should probably take more um, confidence out of that than I do, but. Um, I just, it's generally the, the friendships that have been born out of all of those things and that hopefully allow for opportunities to, to further develop, whether that's writing, uh, whether that's other artists maybe cutting the songs or getting other opportunities to play somewhere. But yes. I always say that the, the trouble with achievings or achieving some dreams is that it always presents another dream to, to be achieved. So it's like, you know what it took to get there and you've done it. And now you think, right, well, I've got to go better now. How, yeah. how do I get there? And it's just like you're starting all over again, which is the challenge, but it's it's always one that I welcome. Um, and so, yeah, I think if I can get onto the Opry next, I think that will be the, the, next, the next one to tick off the list. I think when it comes to actually achieving those dreams, you know, when you do put in the hard work and the sheer effort, it does make it a lot more, a lot more sweeter. You know, the if if you just to walk into it and just 
just somehow land luckily on the stage. You just wouldn't be able to appreciate it as much. But when you actually have to go through that graft, go through the countless songwriting sessions or sitting down with a pen and paper and tearing papers and just throwing it away and, you know, the countless gigs and hours that you put in, just it does make it that little bit extra sweeter. Yeah, it does. It, you know, it allows you to see where you've come from to where you currently are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're right. Not a lot of people see that. You know, Nashville's called a 10-year town because they, they think that you just make it a success overnight. It takes you 10 years. You've got to you know, move there and do the stuff. Like, um, mm-hmm. And I, generally, that's what you'll see. That you know, Luke Combs just didn't pop up overnight. Exactly. Worked his ass off and got there, but you don't, you don't see that. And well, it's, it's like it's like Jimmy Allen. I mean, we were talking about Jimmy Allen during the Buckle and Boots podcast. You know, he's been there for what five, seven years, and he's uh-huh. he's only just recently started winning things like newcomer. You'd think, yeah. well, he's not really a newcomer. He's been there for a fair few years now, but that is because it is a ten-year town. It is. It does take time to work your way through the through the ranks and, you know, basically make a name for yourself, you know, get people listening and get people, get yourself heard. Yeah, certainly over in Nashville. I mean, look, there's talent everywhere you look. Um, and, and you can be intimidated by that and disappear. Or you can say, I'm going to knuckle down and I know where I need to be now. So I, I have huge admiration for anyone that's ever moved to Nashville. Um, it's something that's always been in my head. Whether I'll do it or not, I'm not sure. I have other commitments here that are just taking up a bit more responsibility. But it's to to go over there to the melting pot of the mecca of country music, and and go in there and say, "I'm going to back myself." You know, that, that takes a lot of balls. So anyone that's doing that, you know, I've absolutely huge admiration for them. And it's great to see those success stories. And I, I'm even like looking at someone like Lewis Price. Lewis could hang on the the fact that he's Lee Bryce's brother, mm-hmm. but he doesn't. You know, he's he's in that town creating his own path, and his you know his brother's not opened any doors there for him out of love and respect as well. You know, he knows that he, it's his own journey that he has to take, and Lewis is is doing some fantastic things at the moment. Um, yeah. And you know, will he make it to the levels of of doing stadiums? Who knows? But it's it's definitely within his grasp if he wants it. So it's it's nice to even witnessed some of that journey over the last couple of years as I've been going out to stay with Lewis and and seeing what it takes. You know, it's it's a lot of blood a lot of blood and sweat and tears and and people just see the glam. People just see the sweat on stage. They don't see the hours that go in behind the scenes, you know. So exactly. um it's like it's like an Instagram live. You know, we only get to see, you know, those on the outside, all the fans and everybody else looking in only sees this Instagram perfect life. You know, this is you know, they're on stage doing these stadium tours, you know, I want to be like that, but then the thing, when they actually start going into it, it's like, okay then, so he, he performed there, he performed there, he performed there, oh, crap, this list has gone super long, it's like one of those <laughs> comedy scrolls that when you let go, it kind of like goes rolling for miles and miles and miles, the different gigs and performances they've done, and it is yeah. genuinely a lot of hard work, and You've already, you've already kind of like knuckled. You've already knuckled down. You've already made the effort, and you've already, you've already cemented yourself. Particularly here in the UK, and obviously overseas now is. I'm just. If I was wearing a hat, if I was wearing a cap, I'd doff it. I'd just like. <laughs> well done, good sir. 
Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you, man. Going into let, let let's go back in time then. Let's go back to childhood and to the point where you discovered music. Now, what kind of music got you going as a kid? You know, one of the uh, first albums I bought was Michael Jackson, Bad. Really? Um, and I think a, a Shake and Stevens album as well. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I was just, I was football mad. That's uh, all I'd done. Just wanted to be a professional footballer. Um, spent all my time just kicking a ball, and playing with different youth teams and different soccer schools and stuff. And um, what, my, fo- my what, football were... team? what football team do you support just before we go on? Well, I support Man United because um, obviously they're the most successful team in English football. <laughs> but uh, whenever I was growing up, you know, the likes of Mark Hughes is playing there, Brian Robson. Uh, then along came King Eric and David Beckham in the mm. class of 92. So mm. I had a really good, I had a really good, um, good youth watching my football team play. My uncle got me into Manchester United around 1988. My father's an Arsenal fan, so that didn't go down too well. But um, I mean, I, and so I, then I, I liked your music. Uh, uh, every, <laughs> everything I've said, you know, just kind of like discard. I'm, I'm a Leeds United fan. Uh, that must be so harsh. <laughs> and well, my dad, my dad's a Man United fan, and we, yeah. we moved, uh, we moved to Leeds when I was about five, six. So growing up, that was my local team was Leeds United, and. You learn about the rivalries. You learn about the, uh, the common hatred between the two clubs. But I've got a lot of respect. Man United, particularly under Alex Ferguson, did an amazing job. Yep. Just a shame it's I gone agree. a bit downhill. Um, yeah, they've, they've been staggering and stumbling <laughs> of late with our noisy neighbours. But um, I don't know. It's like it all has peaks and troughs. What I, what I don't want is Man United to drift away. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do Unless they were in danger of. Yeah. Um, and like three of your best players ended up joining United, you know, K- K- Eric Kane, then Rio, then Alan Smith. Yeah, I was gutted when Alan Smith, particularly Alan Smith, went across because he's a Leeds lad. You know, he's he's somebody that yeah. came through the academy. He grew up Leeds. He's always a Leeds fan. And then I know we had to sell him because we was in dire need of money because we was just that whole era, that 2004 onwards was just a complete and utter joke. But... You know, I mean, I'll try not. I won't talk much about football. I promise. It's about your music. <laughs> but you know, Alan no, Smith. It's... I remember uh, last season. It was my very first away match uh, I ever went to. It was, I went with my dad, and we went to Old Trafford to watch uh, Leeds v Man United, and I believe the score was one-one. Alan Smith scored a cracking goal, and then Paul Scholes equalised afterwards. And it was like, yeah, this is bittersweet. This is just. <laughs> this is just typical. My first away match, yeah. and instead of coming away with a win, we went with a draw. Brilliant. <laughs> <sighs> okay, rant over. All so, good. So go on. Uh, soccer teams, football teams. You wanted to be a footballer. Yeah, so I wanted to be a footballer. Played locally with Dunbreen. Uh, Dunbreen Rovers. Yeah. Came up through the ranks there. So I was playing open age football at 14. Well, 14. And then um, I just stayed pretty loyal to, to Dunbreed, to be honest. Um, I think you always have dreams that you want to be a professional footballer, but I think at 14, 15, I kind of, I seen that that, would, that had passed me by. Um, one of my friends actually went on to play for uh, play for Leeds. 
really? guy called Martin Flanagan. Um, but it, and some of the guys that I, I would have played with, I've, I've seen I'd gone on and, and made it. You know, they, they played in the English and Scottish premierships. and So it was great to see it could happen. I just kind of fairly caught on it wasn't going to happen to me. Um, but I always had a passion for it. So I just committed myself to going to university and I played a bit of football there. Uh, came back to, to Ireland, still stayed with my team there and I was coaching them at the time. And then I moved to England uh, I met my ex-wife in Manchester at university. Mm-hmm. And I ended up playing for a team here in, in England at amateur level and stuck with them for uh, another couple of years too. So just football, I've always just been passionate about football. The only other passion that, that su- succumbed it really, that, that took over it, was, uh, was music. And the music I was listening to from the 90s with the likes of Garth Brooks, Alan Jackson, Hal Ketchum, uh, Joe Duffy. Mm-hmm. I just thought, you know, that's, I love that sort of stuff. And uh, I just said there was a difference in that than what I'd been hearing previous. Um, but none of my mates listened to country music at all, so I had to keep it under wraps for about five or six years. And um, do, you, do you find that, I, uh, sorry, sorry to, you know, break your flow, but do you sorry. find that it's still a big thing at the moment, you know, particularly with fans outside of the country industry, you know, it's almost like a still a niche and you almost have to explain why you listen to country music. You know, people seem to outside the genre seem to think it's just this oldie worldie, you know, 1950s, 1960s Western type of country. But yet we've got so much great music like yourself, you know, that isn't what they perceive as stereotypical. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Even just going to some of my, my best mates from Ireland still wouldn't entertain country music, even though I'm heavily involved in mm-hmm. kind of the UK scene. Yeah. Um, but what they have seen, and I think, and I used to work for the NHS as well and, and deal one to one with people. I think what really excites people is other people being excited about something. So they see how passionate and excited I am about country and writing and, and performing and where I get to go that they want to talk to me about it now because yeah. they know it's a passion and it's not a fleeting thing. Um, and so it's the same as anybody. If they have a passion for anything, they'll want to talk about it. Um, and, and so that's, that's what I've found. And so in that regard, they're more open to whenever I have music coming out or if you get in front of anybody that's not used to, to the country music that we listen to and play, the likes of your Spotify's and Apple Music's today, allow you very quickly to give them examples and make them think differently. Oh, I never knew it was like that. I think, that's, I, I think if I had a pound for every time I didn't think country was like that, I'd be a millionaire right now. Yeah. I mean, I've it's all I ever get through, you know, nowadays is like, you know, you get Glenn Campbell come on. You know, everybody knows Glenn Campbell as a country song. And it's like, oh, have, 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 you, been put, have you been requesting music on the radio station again? You know, if I'm listening to, say, BBC Radio 2 <laughs> and it's during the daytime with, like, Ken Bruce. And yeah. <laughs> they'll play some variants of country music. It's like, oh, have you been requesting this again? And it's just that automatic, you know, it must be you or because you like this genre and obviously nobody else does. But there's so many of us going on to your latest music then. Catch me. Yeah. Coming yeah, up very soon. this Friday. Yeah, so Friday the 11th of June. When you're planning a release 
is there certain things that you have in mind or is it just the case of, okay, then I've now recorded this song. I want it out by in say four weeks time, you know, from the day that you've finished the recording, got the mastering, mixing, etc., done. Or do you actually think, you know what, I've got this song, I've recorded it, but I don't want to release it just yet. I want to wait until say mid June or July or September. Yeah. Um, this release for the last couple of releases, um, they have had a strategic element to them. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the past, it was just, I finally got the, the product together. Um, and now I just want everyone to hear it. With the way people are listening to music now, um, it just had me thinking a little differently about how I should release music. And obviously going back and forth to, to Nashville and speaking to the guys out there who are dealing with music day in, day out and, and, and what the protocol should maybe be. There's definitely a move to release singles and yeah. not to be pitching after the EP or album release as such, unless you're massively backed by a label um, because they'll have the money to, to put behind the promotion of that. It, it almost seems like a waste if you were to put out 10 songs on the one day because it would have traction for that short window of time and then it's dissipated. Whereas if you had a strategic kind of lineup of songs that you think are going to grab people's attention and you're doing it every six to seven weeks, yeah. then you, you I think as an independent artist, you get more bang for your buck. And that's not to say it's the right or wrong way, but it's something I've felt a lot better about as I've released um, since the start of the year. And I committed to releasing three songs in the early part of the year. But even that strategy changed as I was watching how my other two songs were reacting. Yeah. And I felt the need to just hold back a little. I thought maybe even releasing six weeks after the second single might have been just a little too quick. So I've given those two singles time to breathe a bit more and they still be getting a good bit of traction in some of the streaming lists. So that's justified me holding this one back. But I, I feel the time's right for, for Catch Me Now because things you also have to take into consideration, I feel, are the time of year. Yeah. So it's quite an up. It's quite an upbeat production. It's quite an upbeat lyric. It's quite a. a I feel like a catchy groove. So this is something that you want to be heard when the sun's shining. People maybe cracked up a cool one, and and it's a sing along. Hopefully that can get people going at a festival. So it might it might have just sounded a, a little off putting that out in January. It's <laughs> yeah. feel, it feels better coming out uh, in June. You know. So all of those things come into. The equation and they're generally things you probably don't think about until until they're happening so the, being a bit more fluid with the release of catch me over the the earlier two releases of nobody somebody and complicated yeah well it's like looking at the spotify streams at the moment and nobody somebody seems to be doing better than complicated but in my personal opinion i prefer complicated to nobody i mean they're both amazing songs don't get me wrong but i prefer the sound yeah. to complicated to nobody somebody and yeah. you know, it, it, it's one of those things that you could spend hours upon hours upon days upon years, you know, trying to work out the algorithms and, you know, what's going to fit the best and what's not going to fit the best. And it's it's going to vary. I mean, like you say, you know, regarding the strategic point between what you release in, say, January as opposed to summer, you know, it's people are now looking for those upbeat, 
playlists. You know, that's one of the big things that people are now pushing for is playlisting on like Spotify, the follows, the streams on there, um, to try and beat those algorithms to get put onto bigger playlists to then get bigger exposure. That's the kind of like free fall at the moment. And particularly like what you're saying towards the start there regarding the whether the people are going for singles or EPs, you know, there's one big chat that we have on Clubhouse at the moment is, you know, what is what is the best strategy to do in terms of music release? And one thing that I always say is you do what suits you the best, you know, because if say you're a new artist and you don't have the fan base, say like what you have, or you don't have the collection of music already behind you, you're best off releasing singles and building that slow fan base that actually wants to stay there because that's ultimately the biggest thing is that longevity. You want fans to stay around and not just be a, oh, that's a good song, and then just you know go somewhere else and not come back. When it comes to yeah. when it comes to actually writing the music then, do you have little things like that in your mind? And sorry, I was just, I interrupted what you was about to say then, sorry. No, you're grand. Um, no, I was just agreeing with you there that it's, it's not, like now people are releasing music differently. And it, I mean, just going back to Morgan Wallen, he threw the cat amongst the pigeons there because he's putting out 38 tracks at one time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. What, so, so there is no right and wrong answer. I think you're right. You got to do what suits you. What you feel is going to be right for the music that you're putting out there. Um, I just felt that it was a time, even just to come up with some more commercial songs, that I feel will have better chances of getting onto streaming lists. Um, and Spotify and Apple Music would be the big ones. So it's trying to see what the fit is there and, and who's going to be listening to them. And I've seen a massive jump in my Apple Music streaming numbers this year, you know, way above what they ever used to be. So again, it, it justifies my my reasoning for changing a little of my sound to become a little more contemporary pop for these songs. But I've hopefully picked up way more new fans that listen on Apple Music and Spotify that will be willing to re- listen to my next releases, which will come back to some more kind of country, neo-trad vibes that you would have maybe heard on one of the first albums I ever released so it's it's trying to get that balance right mm-hmm. knowing that, that the market itself has changed so you have to be adaptable in the business um, and some people might say that's selling out as an artist but you know it's a business at the end of the day and I can write songs for me all day long I can write songs but if I want to write songs that I feel are going to be um, taken up well that allow for you know, more streamings, uh, more plays, more radio play, get you more festival play, then you, you got to do what's right for the business too. I mean, it's frustrating when people say comments like that, you know, selling out as an artist. No, you're not selling out as an artist. What you're doing is you're creating a content that you want to create, you know, whether it's a strategic content, you know, whether you're trying to appease certain people or whether it's something that's coming straight from, you know, the inner depths of your soul. You know, it's ultimately what you create. It's what's coming out of your brain and it's coming out of your penmanship on a piece of paper or a voice note on a iPhone, whichever, you know, kind of media that you use to write songs. It's your content. You know, you don't sell out as an artist because there's no such thing as selling out as an artist. It frustrates me. Yeah, I think um, at the moment, like, and I don't, nobody's actually said that to me, but I, yeah, I, yeah. I feel that you know, it's something that people could jump on. But it's, um, you know, if you even go back as far as 
you know, bumping into you through the tip of my tongue. Nobody, somebody complicated now catch me. There's uh, uh, five tracks there yeah. that I will put on an EP because I know that there are people out there that still like the physical copies. So that will be available, um, you know, this summer. But I, I'm putting it together in a package that there's no point in packaging it as an EP to put on Spotify. They're already there. Mm-hmm. Um but it's available, like I say, for for physical um, for physical copies. But I've just simply entitled uh, "I'm Just Me Being Me," and that's a particular reference to nobody, somebody. There's a line in that song that if, you know, if you're with somebody and they make you feel like you're just you being you, then that's that nobody making you feel like a somebody. And that's exactly what these songs are about at the moment. This is just Gary Quinn being Gary Quinn, putting out this this musical content, uh, and I have other songs that are ready to come out later on it'll be a, a little bit more of a throwback to what people might be used to but I, I feel justified in what I've put together over the last you know six months now yeah. um, because it's it's showing in streaming numbers and it's showing in uh, follows and then people getting on board and, and commenting differently on this new output so I, I, like I say I, I don't think it's about selling out it's, it's about evolving yeah, you know, exactly. And in the same way, any other business has to to react to to different markets. Exactly. I mean, everybody evolves. Everybody's sound can fluctuate. You know, you look at the likes of Garth Brooks, for example. You know, we have songs like "Friends in Low Places," and then we have songs like "Shameless," and then we have songs like "Rodeo." You know, it, it three different songs with three completely different sounds, but yet they're all his songs. Or you know what he sings and they're sensational you know everything that you've done i mean even going into oh holy night (laughs) anyhow if you could sum up catch me what is to you catch me um catch me was really we didn't know what we were writing about, to be honest, at the, at the very beginning. I wrote this with um, J.P. Williams and Scott Reeves, and neither of us had any ideas when we, we stepped into the room to write, but this started coming out, and I had a bit of a, a melody that, that we started picking up on, and C- Catch Me started off as Save Me, but we realized that Kenny Chesney had something similar, and so Catch Me felt better. Yeah. And what would really drew us saying about catch me was this it doesn't have to be that you're in a relationship but certainly that there's people who care about you or love you that are around you and if they can see when you're about to make that stupid decision or that stupid mistake that they're either there to stop you from doing it or be fully aware that that's who you are and they're there to help you up mm-hmm. and so it's not about stopping people from making the silly mistake because some people are just going to do that anyway but if you can be with somebody that accepts you for who you are they're going to catch you either way they're either going to stop you or they're going to be there to catch you after you've fallen so that's the premise of the song and jp williams he's actually written for jimmy allen um best shot so that there was that in the back of our mind that it needed to be up tempo it needed to be i was thinking it needed to be something jimmy allen was saying you know that's that's the kind of vibe that we were going for yeah and then as we got through most of the song, it was only on reflection. I felt that some of the lyrics were actually JP coming to the fore because J- JP's blind. 
Mm-hmm. And there's there's references within that that literally could mean that, but they are they're supposed to be subtextual. Oh, um, wow. So I, I just think it it just really came out as a really really cool song. And Richard Alex done a fine job again production on the production of it. Um, I think it's this should be a real one of my top energetic songs at a festival performance. I feel so. I'm excited for people to hear this one again. Goosebumps. <laughs> just oh. My arm has just gone all tingly. That is, I cannot wait. I cannot wait for everyone to hear Catch Me. If you haven't pre-ordered it already, be sure to pre-order it. Where can people find you on social media? Yeah, all the usual platforms, just simply at Gary Quinn Music. And my website is garyjquinn.co.uk. And again, all the pre-order links, you'll find them anywhere on social media or direct on my website. Absolutely fantastic. Now we've got we've got to organise another podcast because there's so much more questions I've got to ask. <laughs> That'd be fine. Oh, just yeah, I'll, I'll message you after. But yeah, absolutely fantastic. Thank you for coming on. Thank everybody for listening. And yeah, we'll see you all next time. Bye for Appreciate now. It. Thank you very much. Bye. That was the Country Chat Podcast. Join Dom next time for exclusive interviews, reviews and general chit-chats on all things country music.